filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, Discrimination, Wage, and Litigation Solutions for Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They want you to know that your rights matter, you deserve to be free from harassment, and you deserve to work. They cover workplace discrimination and wage theft, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, takings and disability, and a lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. the black and red united podcast i'm adam taylor joined as always by jason anderson and ben bromley we're all from black and red united.com where we talk about dc united and we've got a lot of dc united to get to tonight here in the first segment we are going to be talking preseason. uh we've got two games to talk about we've got some news and we're going to get into all that in the second segment our good friend matt doyle from mlssoccer.com and extra time will be here to talk about MLS's Eastern Conference and have a drink with us and answer our questions. And speaking of drinking, Ben, what are you drinking? Well, in honor of Mr. Doyle, who always has good beers on this program, I'm going with one of Richmond's best beers, which is the uh, Falcon Smash IPA out of uh, Triple Triple Crossing Brewery here in uh, Richmond, Virginia. It's a very good uh, New England style uh, hazy IPA. It's won many awards. It's one of Richmond's uh, favorite IPAs. And so I drink that tonight uh, because I've got to have my beer game strong for Mr. Doyle. (laughs) Uh, I I respect that. Have they gotten any cease and desist letters from a small trading card company in Japan called Nintendo? Because Falcon Smash is a, uh, that's, that's a Nintendo thing. Oh, I'm pretty sure. I I think that's a Captain Falcon thing, right? Oh yeah. I had no idea. You guys never played Smash Brothers in college? I mean, yes, but no. I don't remember any of that. (laughs) Well, this bit fell flat on its face. It got Falcon punched right off the board. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I had a a wide selection of beers between the beers that I went and got myself. And then I was also gifted a couple of strange beers uh, that my friend bought and was like, these are too weird. I don't feel like dealing with them. Uh, But I don't know. It's kind of a warm day. And those were maybe not warm day beers. Uh, So I uh, took my left turn so to speak. And I'm going with uh, Three Stars Brewing's uh, Peppercorn Saison. Uh, one of the top beers made in DC, in my opinion. Always, yeah, always a classic. extremely good. And it's it's starting to become weather where it feels like the right beer for that time. So yeah, Thank I'm you. enjoying it. Uh, last week, we had beer, wine, and liquor all represented. This week, it's, it's just beer. Uh, now watch Doyle get on and be drinking like a a nice rosé or something. <laughs> mezcal. Uh, I'm, I'm betting uh, Mezcal oh, cocktail. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think he's he's gone to Cabo yet this year, so he might be getting up for that. Who knows? Uh, I, I'm, I'm coming to you tonight from Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, where I'm staying with my in-laws. So I got the, the beer that the wine shop had that was closest, made closest to where I am. And it is West 6th Brewing in Lexington, Kentucky. I've got their Penny Ryle Pale Ale, uh, named after, I think, a politician um, and a road, uh, the Penny Ryle Parkway here in Kentucky. It's a it's a very kind of West Coast style pale ale, um, very hop forward, very floral, almost IPA levels of, of hops. But it's it's a tasty, relatively easy drinking beer in in 
this time. So I'm happy with it. I'm enjoying it. Um, I wish I could say the same about DC United's preseason, but I haven't been able to actually partake in any of it. I haven't been able to watch any of it, but I'm told that DC United played a couple more preseason games. Uh, These, I think, are less imaginary than some of their previous ones because some people were able to watch it if they happened to be in the vicinity of Philadelphia or New York or their computers thought they were in the vicinity of those cities. The Black and Red lost both matches, uh, two to nothing to the Philadelphia Union and two to one to NYCFC. Both games were played in Chester, PA, one of them in the stadium in Subaru Park and one of them on the practice fields outside of the stadium. Uh, guys, you were able to watch part of these games. What stood out to you? Ben, I mean, I'll, I'll, you go first. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I watched a little bit of, I watched the first half of the first game and then Jason watched, I think, most of the second game. I, I got the entire second game. There you go. So I I watched the first half of the first game, and what stood out to me was a couple of things. Um, The first thing that stood out to me was they were playing out of the back uh, all the time, no no holds barred, full stop. Uh, A a number of times uh, uh, sites would pass to uh, a center back. In in the game I watched, it was usually uh, Brendan Hines-Eich, uh, who's playing central central defender, and he would pass it to him even if like Heinzeik was in his own uh, in his own box. Like they were not shooting the ball downfield; they were dedicating to uh, themselves to playing the ball out of the back, building out of the back, and and uh, making it go that way. Uh, and that wasn't to say that it wasn't without its problems. I know uh, building out of the back, one of the trialists uh, who was playing center back in the back three, got the ball, uh, mishandled the ball, got it stolen off of them, and then that led to a fairly good uh, uh, attack by the Philadelphia Union, which led to, um, I believe, Fontana. Uh, Fontana was at least involved in it. and He, he scored he helped, both goals in that yes, game. He, yeah, he, he scored the volley. Yeah, this one was the volley that he scored uh, inside the box. That was a very good goal, a good buildup by the Philadelphia Union that led from a breakdown from a – uh, academy uh, center back. So that didn't turn out too well. The other thing I uh, I noticed that I wanted to bring up was that w- when DC United transitioned from defense to attack, they threw a lot of players forward. Like um, the wingbacks got up, the at least one central defensive midfielder also joined the attack and they were really pressing forward in the attack. It was like, uh in that first half they had uh they had a lot of the possession uh the first goal was in a in the second minute i believe but after that they had a a majority of the possession they were looking fairly decent but just the the final balls and the and the uh, uh the forward attack the shots on goal weren't there but they were committing a a lot of uh players into the attack and then when uh when transitions happened and they had to transition back into defense uh they were doing a pretty good job of like getting those defenders and those midfielders back into a uh, a decent formation to prepare for uh the defensive phase of the game so it sounded like our assumption that that Hernan Losada's talk of verticality doesn't mean 
long balls from the back necessarily. He he wants to keep the ball. It doesn't, on the yeah, it doesn't mean build. route one necessarily. Right. You know, one striking thing about that the Philly game is that you know Ben's talking about DC having most of the ball against the Union. The Union were playing closer to their best eleven. Um, yeah. Guys like you know not just Andre Blake, but like Kai Wagner was out there. Uh, Alejandro Bedoya, Jose Martinez, um, Fontana. Anthony Fontana gonna... is supposed to be their um, Brennan Aronson replacement, right? Right. Though they they have a different Aronson brother also out there in this one. <laughs> I don't I don't think he's part that of must this. Must irk him. He's not his brother's replacement. It's a southern guy. Yeah, uh, it's a different different guy altogether. But um, no, they they had a stronger lineup. I would say when you look at what DC had there, we're talking about. An academy I mean, player, a trialist, uh, Logan Pancho was out there. Um, Adrian Perez playing left wing back. I think that's kind of an out of position kind of thing for him. Um, Drew Scundrich was playing. So um, that that first half, especially uh, the half that that I believe is the one that Ben watched. Um, yeah. yeah. So that uh, that's definitely a positive that against a team like the Union that presses that that group could be able to have more of the ball. But, you know, the downside is obviously that's also when the goals were scored and the goals were scored on mistakes, which is kind of a theme. Yes. If we think about game two, where the goals were scored on some pretty big, like, uh, fortunately easy to correct mistakes, but nonetheless, the kind of mistake that like it can kind of be uh, in the regular season is kind of a gut punch kind of a thing that can sort of drop morale uh, for the rest of a game. Yeah. And, I'd rather take those lumps in preseason, but I, I think the lumps are are likely to continue early in the year. We we see any team that wants to play out of the back or play a high risk style, whether it be NYCFC uh, under Patrick Vieira, whether it be the Quakes under Matias Almeida, whoever. You're gonna take your lumps. You're gonna figure out how to. You know, there's gonna be growing pains, and they're gonna hurt a lot when you're learning how to play that style. And it, it takes more than just a preseason to do it. So. I'm not going to be surprised if DC United comes out of the gates slowly. Jason, Ben mentioned counter pressing. Well, yeah, it, it sucks, but. Well, yeah, and know. also it just, it doubly sucks just because of the uh, U.S. Open Cup qualification this year. Yeah, it, it makes that it, a little bit more painful. But given especially the home heavy run in at the end of the year, I'd rather take those lumps early and yeah, be in and a position I, I, to claim a playoff spot late. Yeah, and I think. Hernan Lozada, of course, I bet he wants to do well in the cup, but I, this year with the cup qualification being so strange, I don't think he's going to be too broken up uh, if it doesn't happen. Yeah. Jason, Ben mentioned counter-pressing, and is that what you saw as well against NYCFC? Uh, yeah, not as much uh, as it sounded like it happened in the Union game, um, just because it seemed like NYCFC was a little more sure of themselves um in terms of what they're trying to do because they're they're trying to play the same way they did last year ronnie dyla is still the coach he's not changing formation most of the players were there last year um so there's a lot of a lot of that um but dc was um what struck me with dc was the not just counter pressing but the actual pressing structure um where they were sending it's not it's not a joke about the numbers sending forward uh or that they're willing to send forward in and press teams when they play out of the back so it's not just a striker and the two underneath whether we want to call that 3421 or 343 um it's not just those front players it's also russell canals jumping forward quite a bit 
um, on both sides of the ball with and without the ball. There were, there were a lot of moments where um, it wasn't just the front three and the wingbacks pushing up. It's also canals. So it's like six guys going forward on a very regular basis. Um, and it's, it, it was striking to see how much they were willing to commit to that, which is obviously this is what Losada said is going to happen, but it's still been a long time since we've seen a DC team playing like that from the opening whistle. You know, we've seen them have a selective high press, but not, this is a little more like, yeah, we're selecting the high press pretty much all the time. <laughs> uh, pretty much every time we get a chance, we're going after it. Um, obviously this is, it's kind of hard to tell how well it's going to work because Losada doesn't have a lot of tape on what he wants his specific pressing triggers against NYCFC to be. And also, even if he does, he certainly isn't going to give that away to NYCFC's coaching staff by doing There was a lot of stuff in this game. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll mention the announcers for NYCFC, uh, Glenn Crooks and um, uh, now I can't remember the other guy's name. Um, uh, I'm sorry to the other guy. I'm going completely blank all of a sudden. Um, uh, Rob Abramovitz. Um, that's who it is. Um, so they both mentioned that both teams are kind of like, yeah, there's stuff that we have been working on that we are not going to do today because the game is soon. We play each other again. Um, that game was scheduled before MLS announced its schedule and before I think the soccer side of either team knew that game one was going to be against each other. Normally, this is not what teams teams don't really like to do this. Uh, yeah. But, you know, so we, we had some awkward moments. The the um, There's a goal that DC gave up on a corner, which was really an odd one because they're not giving away any set piece plays. Um, but uh, what's, what was odd about it was just that DC basically sent everyone forward uh, and then took the corner short and tried to play it square across the top of the box. And it, the pass was inaccurate. Um, and it led to a three on two, like I say three on two, but it's really like three from NYCFC and two from DC all running kind of even with each other uh, with Chris Seitz as the only other person not involved in this. Um, which is not good. Uh, it's not really what you want to no. happen. Um, and that's, and, 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 you know, DC uh, tried their best to snuff that out, but NYCFC didn't make the, ultimately you need a team to make a mistake in that moment. And they did not make the mistake. So it ended up being Jerks. kind of a tap into an empty net. Um, so that's not good, but it's also the kind of thing where it's like, well, you know, if you, if you don't want to work on any specific corner kick stuff, cause you don't want to give it away, which is reasonable. Um, then the flip side of that is that what happens on your, the corners you actually get might just be like real weird. Um, and, and now that's so it, it was, that's it. I don't really understand the idea of being, maybe it's just a like psychological thing. Like guys, you need to get used to committing this many numbers forward. So on corners in this preseason game where the goals don't really matter, we're going to send everybody. And if you screw it up, then you're going to you know be like, oh, that's that's what could go wrong if I make a mistake. Um, but that's it. I'm kind of grasping at straws on why that many people were forward for a preseason corner kick. Um, but, the, you know, the other goal, uh, and it kind of echoes what Ben said about the first goal for Philly. Um, it, it's a goal born out of a mistake. Um, and so both, you know, both of the goals in both games end up being not really – you know, the second goal for NYCFC is a corner kick that DC it, it defended, but didn't then step out fast enough. And uh, Andreas Jason had just enough time to just basically shoot low and hope. And he got lucky. Um, the ball a deflected at least, at least one time. Maybe, maybe it might've also taken a second one. Um, 
but you know, what are you going to do? Um, but right. so the downside is they are making mistakes that are kind of mistakes where you're like, you guys should know better than that. Like they don't need a new coach to tell them to close out a corner better than that, or not give the ball away when literally no one is back. Those are things that like a, a 12 year old knows not to do. Um, but on the other hand, I can kind of see how it happens because you're just like, we're not, these are scripted things and we're not giving away our scripted stuff. So, um, you know, overall it was a, it wasn't a very eventful game. I don't think it was a particularly well-played game in part because it appeared to be played in, in like gale force winds the entire time. Um, yeah, both teams are hiding it, their best plans from yeah. each other. And, and it was a chippy game though. Like that might carry over to the regular season because uh, like DC brought the intensity that we're used to from a Ben Olsen coach team, but they were also like, this was not preseason tackling. There was not a little like, well, we don't have to go in full blooded uh, at this point because it's just preseason. DC was like, no, we're going in full blooded. Um, so DC's <laughs> tackling was especially like not dirty, but tough. There were a lot of just tough tackles. Um, and so the game was broken up a lot. It seemed like both teams were committing fouls either by being a little late or just being a little too exuberant in their tackle and and not winning the ball cleanly. So that kind of characterized the game too. It was just a lot of whistles. Well, I want to talk about that phenomenon and Junior Moreno specifically. He got two yellows in this one, sent off at the end of the first <laughs> half, along with uh, NYCFC's Castellanos, who I think was the recipient of the yes. second tackle that led to a yellow card there. Um, was that a matter of Junior being late to tackles or just getting it wrong or what? We saw... Last year, he had some trouble keeping up with his read of the game. He was late in several games, one of which led mm-hmm. to a red card. Um, was this more of that, or was this something else? I think this was more of that. Um, it was both late and a little too much. He was putting too much into the tackle. Um, and I think the idea that he went in with was like he could make a statement tackle by making a tough but clean tackle um at midfield and you and know he just missed on the ha- second half of yeah that. he just didn't he just didn't win the ball and so it became kind of a stamp rather than just a tackle um because there's one where you, you want to get your foot planted so that you aren't the person losing out in the collision but he arrived too late castellanos beat him to the spot um and so he caught he caught castellanos pretty solidly um and it was one of those where like not only did he get the earlier yellow but there was also one other tackle where he could have gotten a yellow um and I, I think part of the reason it blew up is that Castellanos, I think, had received two or three of these harder tackles overall, not just Moreno, but just across the board. And I think this was the one where he would, he had had enough. So he kind of, uh, you know, Moreno went to help him up and he slapped his hand away and started yelling at him. And th- that's when things started to get out of hand. Um, and uh, in, in the skull, I didn't see Castellanos do much more other than slap the hand gesture away. I don't know if the referee was just like, guys you're going to replace these guys i'm going to send them off so you have to do it but like this can't carry on i can't have this um i don't know if that's the, the come on yeah um but yeah um this does start with moreno just going in with a little too hard a little more of a stamp uh uh movement than a tackling movement and um he was a little late it, it wasn't overall i would say even you know putting that card aside if he doesn't get the second yellow it wasn't a very impressive half from him. Um, I thought he was fine in possession. I didn't have any real problems with that side of his game, Um, but it seemed like he was a little behind on some things. And um, if they're going to play with two, 
uh, midfielders in that in those spots where it looks like they're going to at least at first. Yeah. Um, then he has to be a little earlier. Um, and you know the thing is like especially playing alongside Russell Canals who covers so much ground and and you want him covering that ground. You want him to have some free freedom positionally to step high and make a tackle or step high and join the attack. Uh, Moreno's job has to be about getting the angles and the timing right. Like his job becomes covering space and reading the game at a higher level than the other the other team's players in the same area of the field. So it's kind of a big deal. If he is the 2020 version of himself, that's kind of a problem. Um, I don't want to raise the alarms based on one preseason game because we don't have well, like, it. yeah, Ben, go ahead. Well, yeah, I was going to, I was going to jump in and say he, at least in the first half that I watched uh, of the uh, Philadelphia game, which was the only half he played in that game, he was similarly unimpressive. He seemed uh, slow of thought more than slow of foot. He was not getting into the right places. He wasn't putting balls. uh, I mean, his his distribution was, was fine, but it wasn't uh, excellent. Um, And he wasn't, able to uh protect the back line like he was dropping into the back line but uh like we saw with all of the mistakes that happened he wasn't able to shield that back line which was in that game extremely inexperienced and you would think a leader and a, a veteran like uh, uh junior moreno would be able to uh help help shield that back line and help prevent some of these mistakes from happening or at least mitigate them. And there was nothing there. Like I said, he was, he was a little slow of thought and that, that prevented him from being able to help that back line and really prevented him from making any impact on that game in the half that he played. So there's one more tune up next week against the Red Bulls. And then the season opens against NYCFC again. I assume you guys are both on board with Russell Canal starting that game. Who do you want to see start next to him, Junior Moreno or Mar- Moses Nyman? It's a tricky one because you know I think I think I, I, I don't want to speak for Ben, but I think that at least for me, um, we know that Moreno can play at a higher level than this, um, and you know under a new coach. Um, is it a kind of thing where you say this relationship might be not great right now because of the things I'm asking them to do being differently? Um, do you give that more time um, or not? And and I don't know that the team has decided yet. Um, I know I've kind of said my piece that you have to find a way to get Niam in minutes, even in games where you're like, I don't know if this is actually the best path to us winning the game, but we have to put him out there because he's only going to get better. And also it's not like he's playing badly. Um, it's not like you're handing him minutes as a as a treat because he happens to be young. Um, and, and he's coming to these games like the I think in our slack right after right after the second half began when he actually did enter the game, um, which was unclear on the stream because I, I don't blame the the guys doing the stream because they're standing field level and not getting there's no announcements. There's no one telling them anything. They're just sort of figuring out. They're just some guys standing nearby. But Nyman came in and the first thing he did in the game was win a loose ball, turn out of a 1v2, and play a line-breaking pass that almost sent Assad through on goal. Um, it was instant. And it's a kind of thing that Moreno does some stuff that Nyman can't do, and he does some important stuff that Nyman can't do. But the flip side is that I don't think Junior Moreno has that play in his bag of tricks more than one or two yep. times a season, whereas with Nyman, it seems like a two or three times a month kind of thing, and that's a big deal. And, I mean, 
we know Moreno can play better, but I mean, it hasn't been since the first month of 2019 that he's actually done it. And so I thought he played pretty well in 2019. It was 2020 where things really went bad. Uh, yes. I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's been, a, I'll, I'll just say it's been a long time. Yeah, like, that's, I, I that's feel like he, he fell off in 2019, at least in my mind, uh, played okay. But I, yeah, I, I, it's been a long time since he's played to the level where he was getting Venezuelan national team spots all the time. And so far That's this, fair. the beginning of this season as well, it's, it's not there. And so it'll be up to Hernan Losada to decide what he wants to see. And also uh, it may be up to Dave Casper uh, to decide maybe we should have more than one backup CDM uh, for this team. Cause right now it's, uh, it's Junior Moreno, it's Moses Nyman, and then... Uh... Yeah, this yep. is um, a major outstanding question right now. Um, and it's I think it's notable that we talk about you know the trialists that are not being named. There are a couple guys that uh, played in... There's one guy that played in both games that is... He wore two different numbers, but it's the same guy. He played left center back. I can't I can't place his face. I I don't I don't think he's very yeah. young. I think he's in his mid twenties, so he's a guy that's established somewhere. Um, I mean, I feel like at this point they have to sign Logan Pancho just for the fact that he he is a CDM who can play well, he that can position. Play there. He's he not really. really there. No, he's played as a wingback. He played, played, he played, he played uh, against Greenville. He played. It looked like from the photos that he was in um, right, right center. Back. But didn't he play college? He played, soccer, some college. He has soccer. played some central midfield minutes in college, but it wasn't his primary spot. Yeah. Um, but like this, this kind of gets at the thing is like, we're stuck looking at these yeah, like, loose possibilities. Like is, I feel like you Joseph know, Mora is on the table as a central midfielder. If, if things go to crap, especially when you think of like Losada told, uh, I, I'm forgetting again, who he told because I don't know, remember anything correctly anymore. Um, but like, he said that Assad is probably not going to play that deeper role. Uh, he also has two games in a row now deployed Drew Scundrich, who does play that role and has played it in college and professionally and probably yep. is at this point still looking like first choice for Loudon as, as their number eight. Um, <laughs> but he played him further up the field uh, in, in two games. He played him as part of that attacking midfield duo rather than play him in that midfield yeah. position. So um, either they've got something in their mind uh, that's already lined up and is just being worked out, which would be coming out of the blue, or you know, I've got, I've got it, Jason. <laughs> yeah, I've got it. Uh, he's 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 a little old right now. He's been out of the game for a minute, but he I mean he doesn't currently have a job for DC United. Uh, they've probably given his ankles some time to heal. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Ben Olsen is gonna come back on the field and play. Uh, uh, and I bet you uh, he is CDM. I bet you he would love to do that. Um, but I bet you he's so much happier now being a step removed. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I, I think I'm the sure. team. I think the team. There was that video where they gave him the new marble jersey, and and someone in the background joked that he should get out there and play. And he said, 10 or fifteen minutes will do me in for the next three or four days." Um, right. 
And I definitely, as, as someone who's only a slightly younger than Ben Olsen, I definitely was like, yeah, that, that tracks. Um, yep. And Ben's in much better shape than I am. Um, but yeah, I definitely was like, yeah, that would be real tough to, to um, but yeah, in any case, they got to do something. And it's weird because yeah, I mean, when you look at the roster, there isn't very much space for like, they're literally just low on roster spots. Um, and it can't be an international because we're already looking at an international roster situation that is unresolved as of right now. Yep. Um, right. We'll get a resolution pretty soon because they're going to be playing soon and it's going to get resolved one way or another, but Right. Um, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if like they were just like sorry, Loudon, and brought Skundrich up to yeah. uh, the first team and uh, made him play the the six. I will say, um, our our friend Alicia Rodriguez, when when that move was announced, the first thing she asked me, she was like, "I'm kind of surprised that DC isn't looking at him for an MLS deal," um, because she covers yeah. Sacramento and she's talked about how she felt like this is an MLS caliber player. Um, and she covers also all of the California MLS teams. So it's not like this is someone who's has stopped watching the league. She's watching more soccer than almost anyone. Um, and she felt like Skundrich is good enough to play. In, and, and in these preseason games, he has looked like on a broad level, not that he's played the position that we're talking about, but on a broad level, he's looked like he could be a contributor at an MLS level. So maybe that's something they have in mind and it just hasn't been announced yet. I don't know. Um, we are definitely speculating. But just from the broad, you know, looking at the list of players that the team has and looking at where they are short, we've been talking about it for a while now. You can't go into the season with three natural central midfielders. You've got to have at least one more along with, you know, yes, when Paul Ariola gets here, then maybe one of him and Julian Gressel could fill that role from time to time, but that's not where you want them. But they're not, uh, and they're not sixes. Felipe will be back eventually, but I mean, right. you can always have you can now slide back to the sixth and and have Scundridge sure. or whoever run about as the eight. But um, let let's, I mean this this isn't going to be resolved uh, right now. No. Maybe next week we'll have a resolution. Yes, it will. We, we, we're going to resolve this right now. We're just going <laughs> to tell Ernan Losada, and then it'll be done. Well, instead of doing that, we're going to move on. Because Paul Ariola is coming back early from his loan at Swansea City, he suffered a a, a, a relapse and tweaked his quad. He's out for uh, four to six weeks, which is basically the rest of the championship season. So he is coming back to DC to uh, recuperate and train, presumably get in on some film sesh with the team, uh, and he will be back with DC United when the season starts. Probably not the ending to his loan that he was hoping for. Certainly a lot of us were rooting for him. Uh, but but certainly not bad news for DC United. What I wanted to talk about specifically is how he fits in this side. Because a lot of people seem to be assuming that he and Julian Gressel are going to be competing. Or that one of them will move over to the left side and play wing back over there. And I don't see that as Paul Ariola's role at all on oh, this team. I know he played some wing back with Cholos. And uh, his defensive work rate, a lot of people say screams wing back. But especially if, if Losada is going to play 3-4-3, whatever you want to call it, unless he specifically and only wants number 10s in those two underneath spots, the right side one has to go to Paul Areola in my mind. He has to be like he's the, the unquestioned yes. starter in that spot because his final third movement is so good and so direct. It gives you something that you don't have otherwise on this roster. And we saw it with yeah, Rooney I mean, and Lucho. And I think it, it helps a lot here too. I think that's where he fits on this team. 
Yeah, I think looking at the, at the the half that I saw, I think that Paul Ariola would be like the uh, triple plus version of what they were trying to do in that game. In that, uh, in the uh, two of the three, four, two, one, uh, I think he because it's it's a position where you get to flare out, but you also get to play a lot in the middle. Uh, you're you're doing attacking yeah. runs, supporting the central striker. Uh, you get a lot of freedom in that role, and I think that's going to suit uh, Paul Ariola's skills uh, very well. I'm not as sure that he is the starter in the right side of that front three, um, whatever it lines up as. I think it's very easy that it could be him on the left and Flores on the right. Sure. Um, and we did see there was a brief spell in the NYCFC game, and I, I mean like a solid like 10 to 15 minutes, where Flores and Assad switched and just stayed in those spots. And I, I don't think it was a coaching staff uh, thing where they said you guys should switch spots. They, there was a coaching staff uh, issue where they did tell Flores to stay high and play with one underneath two instead of two underneath one, um, which if you uh, read our eventual minutes tracker piece, you will be able to see noted uh, in, in excruciating detail. Um, but yeah, um, I, I do think that with pressure and movement being such an important part of what Losada wants to do and, you know, touching on this um, NYCFC game, one of the things that went wrong for DC's attack wasn't necessarily a lack of good movement. It was that the timing was off and they were offside like seven or eight times. And these weren't Leonard Pahoy offsides. These were like, if that timing is a little bit better, Kimarni Smith or Ola Kamara or Edison Flores is through on goal offside. And and like those guys are faster than Pahoy. So um, they might actually do something with it once they get there. Um, but, you know, this is important for Ariola. brought up a cursed like, name. Well, in, a, in a way to contrast him with a, a player who is better at soccer. Um, it's exercising because, the demons. Yeah, if, if it's Ariola making that run, um, one, his timing is better. And once he gets that understanding with some of these other guys about when to really, you know, turn on the uh, or shift into a higher gear, um, it could be something where he's getting through, whether that's getting through on goal or simply getting in behind and then being able to like DC's goal in this game. It involved Assad played the ball in behind Flores timed his run well, got in behind the defense, got to the end line and cuts it back for Kimarni Smith, who now has two of your classic striker goals uh, that are not necessarily beautiful goals. Uh, but when you're doing a good job as a striker, you score this kind of goal frequently. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a thing that Paul Ariola could be very, very good at. And I will add that I believe it was in the post. There was an era brief uh, interview or a quote, at least from Losada to Steve Goff. And he described Paul Ariola as our best player. Um, those were his words. So um, if you want to know what Lozada's impression of Ariola's importance to the team is and his concept of playing, you don't say publicly as a coach, this is our best player, unless you really, really mean it. So, um, yeah, I think, Adam, you're probably right. I, I will say that he probably will see some time as a wingback, especially yeah. if the team is losing. Um, it's very easy to bring in, like, Jordi Reyna uh, for Joseph Mora and have Ariola drop deeper because you're, sure. you're going Absolutely. even more committed. But, yeah, primarily, but primary I, position... I do think... Primarily, he's going to be more of one of that front three because of his ability to press and counter press and make these runs off the ball, which it seems like if you can't do those things, then you're not going to stick on a Losada coach team. So, you know, right. it's nice whenever he gets back, which is going to be a while because everything's going to be a while like you're about to bring up, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
the other thing I want to say about Areola and the formation that Losada seems to be favoring. Areola for me, when I was like, I've been, you know, boring you guys and annoying you with talk of the three four three, three four two one, whatever, all winter long. And it picked up a lot when when Losada was announced because I think that's where Areola really, really fits. And it also works with the other creative players that the DC United has. But you don't need to change the system for them to fit in to find a place. But I think Areola, that is you almost have to have that hybrid attacking midfielder winger spot for him to really thrive. And so he's the reason the system makes sense to me for DC United. Otherwise a three, five, two or three, four, one, two makes more sense. But with Areola having that extra space outside makes too much sense to pass up. Um, One more piece of news for DC United, this one uh, worse. Bill Hamid has re-aggravated an injury. uh, This one in his calf. He will also be out for four to six weeks. He was almost back to full training when this happened. So it, it looks like he will certainly miss the start of the year. Uh, Chris Seitz is the favorite now to start week one against NYCFC. He he may have been anyway, honestly, because Hamid might not have been back 100% by then. But uh, he's going to be out for the uh, for, for a little while. And there seems to be some disagreement among reporters. Um, uh, Sam Stasekel saying that DC United is in the market now for uh, another keeper and Goff pouring some cold water on that. So we'll see what happens. Um who knows, but but it's definitely bad news for for everyone, uh, except maybe Chris Seitz, that that Bill Hamid is going to be out for the next month or two. Yeah, it's rough. Uh, there's no way really around it. You want, I mean, it's no no knock on Seitz, who I I don't think, by the way, these at least these two games we've seen, I don't think the goals are on him. Um, these are big mistakes happening elsewhere that leave him with really no no chance to do anything about it. Um, when you've already committed to your dive to make the save and the ball ricochets to the opposite yes. corner that's yes. not on you as a keeper no. <laughs> um and i will say you know thinking back to last year one of the positives because sites didn't his, when he had to come in for a stretch last year the first two or three games were not convincing it wasn't that he played badly it was just like you know we're not getting um much positive out of him he's just sort of there but he got better um he improved and it, part of that is just he had to play uh, he played himself into playing at a higher level. He's obviously a veteran presence. He's always been pretty comfortable, not like not special levels of comfortable with the ball at his feet, but he's comfortable enough um, if they're going to play out of the back, like we've been talking about. So, um, you know, it, it's definitely not, he's definitely not as good as Bill Hamid, but um, if I'm DC, I would maybe not like when I read the first thing about how they were looking for a third keeper, I was like, well, if you, if you get a third keeper, we're down to like one roster spot available for a couple different issues that are, are yeah. pretty severe for DC United. Um, I really don't want to lose that roster spot unless it's, especially for a four to six week injury. Um, but it sounds you know, at least from Steve's uh, Steve Goff's reporting that maybe that's not the case. And, and if they have to, call on Loudon to sign a, you know, short-term deal. You can do four of those a season before you have to offer the guy a spot. So I would rather go that route than add goalkeeper number three for a short-term problem. Can I, can I, it seems, it seems like they made a mistake. Cause like, I feel like there's not that much difference between Chris Seitz and John Kempen. Like they seem like very like, well, that's what it, you want like, for your third. You want your third to basically be another second. No, I mean, like I don't know if I, I don't know if quality, I, but... 
I don't know if I agree with that, Adam. I think you want your third to be someone who you could eventually that you might want to be eventually developing into your first, who you have time to loan to Loudon when he's not available, but who could have some big upside. I don't think Kempen or Seitz have anywhere close to the upside of Bill Hamid. I mean, no, not nobody does, but I don't think either of them are long-term MLS caliber starters. So I think they should have gone for one of those spots with somebody who has uh, more of an upside, even if it's a miss. Uh, I like, I mean, I knowing you go with someone Hamid, who has has a better chance because Bill Hamid is. I'm comfortable with the idea that Bill Hamid is not going to face serious competition for his spot. So I'm good with sure. the second and third string keepers pushing each other for to yeah. to get a spot on the bench. Um, knowing that Bill Hamid will, as a human being, be hurt from time to time, and so I'm I'm okay with that. Um, I don't think the third keeper has to be a developmental spot. If you have a keeper you can put there as a development project, sure, A+. But I I don't view that as a requirement as much. That's not how I envision that spot. Okay, we disagree, and that's fine. I, I will throw in that Kemp is, Kempen is 27. Um, so he's right at that. He's right about to enter his goal. The goalkeeper prime years are a little later than most players. So he's about to enter that. So maybe DC's making a bet that, you know, he's a player that's been underappreciated elsewhere and, you know, it could be his time to shine. I don't know, but it is, it's, it should be competition. I hope it's not completely settled that it's just, oh, it's definitely sites. It should still be a battle between those two guys, because if you're a backup goalkeeper and the starter gets hurt, this is your moment. We'll see what happens as the, the beginning of the season rolls out, but, but that's it for this segment. Stick around. We'll be right back with Matt Doyle. This is filibuster. All right, say you're at work and uh, something unfortunate or untoward happens and you need some legal representation to uh, to assert your rights in that situation, whether a boss mistreated you, you were fired unfairly uh, or, or, or something worse happens. Ben, in the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia, you know who to call, right? Yeah, you call the Ehrlich Law Office because you have rights. That's right. And your rights matter. And you deserve to be free from harassment. And you deserve to work. The Ehrlich Law Office handles workplace discrimination. They do civil rights. Uh, If you have a wage theft issue, they are there for you. If you have uh, a separation from your employer that you want to to get down on paper, and you're dealing with a a non-compete clause or or something to to that effect if you uh if you feel like your civil rights have been violated by a local government call the ehrlich law office uh if you want a free consultation tell them we sent you go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. We are now inside of two weeks until the 2021 MLS season kicks off. And uh, as is now a well-established tradition around these parts, that means it's time to invite the mythical chaotic neutral down from his mountain onto the show for a drink and some nerdery. Matt Doyle, 
MLSsoccer.com's MLS or armchair analyst. Welcome back to Filibuster. Oh, it's an annual tradition unlike any other. I, I look forward to this every year. Uh, I do appreciate the chaotic neutral compliment. Um, you know, I, I told some of my friends that, that people had called me chaotic neutral. Uh, some of my like real life friends, not soccer friends. Um, <laughs> people that but soccer people considered me chaotic neutral and they thought that was like the best compliment they had ever heard <laughs> in their entire life. Like we all we all strive to be chaotic neutral. Um, and I don't really think I, I live that, but uh, you know, I will take that compliment. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help your brand, uh, at least right now. So uh, what are you drinking tonight? Speaking of brands. Uh, well, you put out the thing and you didn't, you put out a tweet saying that you were going to guess what I was drinking. Oh, uh, yeah. Lad- Adam segment. did guess. Uh, ben guessed beer, Jason guessed Mezcal, and I, I guessed something uh, putting you in the mindset of You said Rosé. Oh, I said, said Rosé. Yeah. I said Rosé was like a throwaway. That wasn't a legitimate yeah. guess, but I guess I'm married to it now. No, I, I do like a nice Rosé in the summer when it's hot. I'm pretty much off beer. So I, I, I still love beer, oh. but it's like I'm in my mid-40s. I find that if I drink a couple of beers, it stays with me um, in more ways than one. Um, yeah. Jason was correct. This is a Mezcal yes. Negroni. Oh, on the ground. Job, yeah. yeah, that has been the, the drink of, of quarantine for me. And even though we're just about we're just about out of quarantine, um, I think I think this is my drink for a good long while going forward. Yeah. Well, all right. I can guys drink it? I I we're all drinking beer tonight, weirdly all enough. Right. All right. <laughs> yep. 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 So uh, yeah, I yeah, I'm here in Kentucky drinking a local brew. Nice. So support your local. Uh, huh? Support your local. In all yeah, things, that's... support your local. So so let's start off. Um, one thing I, I've kind of seen looking around the Eastern Conference, seems like there's a lot of teams that are shaping up to be noticeably better than they were in 2020. Whether that means they end up with more points or not, because it seems like a lot of teams have made improvements more than certainly going into 2020, it seems like. Yeah, well, I mean, there are a lot of teams that have, made a lot of moves right um my even the really bad teams like cincinnati and um miami have made a ton of moves whether that makes them better or not is uh certainly up for debate and something that (laughs) i look forward to finding out over the next six months uh i i don't know like i i get what you're saying but then there's also look the the union sold two best 11 players and lost their, their starting right back. who was the all time appearance leader for the, the club. Uh, they haven't replaced any of them. They, you know, the Red Bulls have done uh, diddly the, this off season and same for <laughs> NYCFC. Um, so it, it does like to me uh, from the outside looking in, it, it seems like more of a mix um, rather than clear cut across the board uh teams being aggressive and making moves and, and, and really pushing to climb the standings. And from, from my perspective, I think that's kind of opened the door for Columbus to have potentially just like an all time great MLS season, given how, you know, skewed the schedule is because of pandemic considerations like 31 of the 34 games are against Eastern conference teams. And, if you look at their roster and everybody else, they're just clearly the best team. 
and we'll get to Columbus in a little bit, but for the beginning, I want to stay with the the uh, the bad teams of the Eastern Conference. <laughs> Some uh, people like garbage. Ben likes to talk about yes. Garbage. I mean, DC United is well used to raccoons, <laughs> as raccoon, Mr. Man. Doyle is showing, and raccoons <laughs> love to just root around in garbage. So it's it's our way. Again, uh, we're staying on brand here tonight. <laughs> yeah, specifically, I want to talk a little bit about. Uh, FC Cincinnati, who had a really chaotic offseason. They seem to just do, like, just, like, grabbing players from all over with no rhyme or reason. Would you call it a chaotic neutral offseason? I mean, I think it's more chaotic evil offseason. They they have no idea what they're doing. (laughs) And then then on the other hand, you have, uh, I think they're now called Club de Foot Montreal. Mm -hmm. I I feel like they had more of, like, a lawful neutral offseason where they were just, like, (laughs) through and trying to abide by the rules but not having any uh movement forward uh they got uh terry Henry left they have a new coach uh i feel like these are going to be two of the uh bottom teams in the eastern conference but in two wildly different uh ways so uh, what do you see happening uh with these two teams and near the bottom of the uh eastern conference i think what you said is most likely to be correct that these are two of the bottom teams in the Eastern Conference in wildly different ways. And the, the wildly different way, obviously, is that it, Montreal have barely spent anything, if at all, outside of the league in the past three or four windows now. Um, well, I guess they brought in Wanyama ahead of last season. So the past two windows, they've barely spent anything outside of the, the league. Um, and are trying to build with youth from their academy and the occasional draft pick, and then like spending gam to bring in players like Mason Toy, Georgie Mihailovic, and, and Kamal Miller, which is, I mean, that's a that's a choice. That's a choice. Um, <laughs> and then you know Cincinnati, they spent what fourteen million dollars on this kid Brenner. Yeah, something like could, yeah. You could have had him for free. You could have had him for free last summer. Uh, and they, they, they spent a lot of money on this kid. They spent a lot of money on Lucho Acosta, who you guys know very well what he's capable of. You also know that he did it for five months in four years. You know, yeah. like he was not, he's not Nico Ladero. He's not going to go out there and run the show for you every single weekend. It's very hit and miss with Lucho. And it was all this with Lucho down in Mexico with Atlas. Um, and you could say, well, Atlas are a tire fire. They finish last every year. So does Cincinnati. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're two-time defending wooden spoon. Like, so it, it, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy the amount of faith that they have put in these signings. They, they just spent a lot of money on a, on a young uh, winger from uh, Nordschelland in, in, in Denmark. They, they just bought, uh, you know, one of the best young center backs from uh, the Ecuadorian league. Like, they are just throwing cash around, man. And it's cool because we need teams to be ambitious if we want to be a better league. Um, <laughs> it does not feel like it. the spending is directed with much precision. And that is... I mean, there's a lot of pressure on the Cincinnati group to, to finish well into the playoffs and i think that's a pretty unlikely outcome yep 
Matt, since we're talking about teams that I think maybe are widely expected to not do very well, um, I wanted to start with uh, Inter-Miami uh, having, you know, they brought in Phil Neville, which is kind of it's kind of like, well, they hired David Beckham's buddy uh, who with England, uh, with the women on the women's game, I know I watched his teams and I was like, the players look bought in, but I don't know why they are bought in. Because <laughs> I don't understand, like, this isn't making them better. And so that's kind of the hallmark of my, my question about Miami is like, is that roster good enough if they've got like a lot of commitment and a lot of, you know, good team spirit, but not actually good coaching? Yes. Um, and, you know, the, the dirty secret about um, most soccer leagues, but especially MLS, which is based on parity. If you have a couple of very talented players and they're bought in, and everybody else is bought in, it's going to work. Now, you might not win trophies, but you're, you're going to go out there and you're going to collect points at a good rate through the regular season, and you are going to pound the hell out of some teams who aren't bought in or who are taking a midweek game off. Um, and if that's what Phil Neville does for Miami, then they won't be one of the bad teams in the league. They will be probably one of the better teams in the league. Not, I don't think... I don't see them as a like it, I can't imagine a world in which they contend for the supporter shield, but I could see a world in which they finish top three in the East just by going out there and playing hard. And Iguain still has something left, and Pizarro is um, you know a full Mexican international. And it turns out Pellegrini's actually worth a shit instead of how he played last year, and Lewis Morgan improves upon last year which was already really good like it's there if if they buy in just throw out a straight up you know four two three one or four four one one nothing fancy at all to be like we have a talent and we're committed and we're going to beat this team and they'll they'll win 15 16 games and everybody will hail it as a as a remarkable turnaround that will bum me out to no end (laughs) me too (laughs) but I'm not predicting it. I I think I had them on the outside of the playoff picture looking in because I think the more likely outcome, I mean, like a lot of players are are going to South Florida who maybe look like the competitive part of their soccer careers uh, have come to an end. You know, Vlasma Tweedy was a gamer. He's a World (laughs) Cup champion. He won, you know, he, he won six Syria titles. He's, he's a legend, but when Plasma Tweedy is out there jogging behind the play, uh, you know that something is fundamentally wrong uh, with the club culture. And I don't know that any of the new signings or Phil Neville uh, are going to be enough to, to change that. I mean, when you can take a championship player who's about to retire and convince him to, to come to Miami and give you a year. <laughs> How are you going to say no to that? I mean, that's that's just ideal roster construction, right? There. <laughs> exactly what you want. Um, going up to the other, uh, going up north a little bit, um, the Hudson River Derby this year maybe not as um, as meaningful as it as it's been. Partly because a lot of the games will be happening in New Jersey, no matter who the home team is listed as. But also, these both look like mid-table teams this year. The uh-huh. the Red Bulls both teams kind of stopped spending money on, on high end players. The Red Bulls have a new coach um, and, and 
NYCFC has 11 players who are, are worth a damn, according to Ronnie <laughs> Dyla. Um, what do you see happening up there? Regression. I, I picked both of these teams to miss the playoffs this year, unless, you know, the, there are major changes in terms of their roster. Um, you know, right now, uh, it, NYCFC is one deep at center forward, and that one is Tati Castellanos. It's not actually a center forward and certainly isn't much of a goal threat. Um, the starting left winger is Andres Jansen, um, who is a 19-year-old academy product who's never played a professional minute and uh, left Yale to come play in MLS. So it's like, okay. Um, you know, Tajuri Shradi and Maxi Morales are their two most important attackers, and those guys are hurt all the time. Defensively, I still think they'll be really good. Um, but that attack is is tough. Red Bulls are, I mean, they're a mystery box. You know, their signings are all, like, I mean, a, a Brazilian second division striker, uh, a, a former fringe England youth national fullback, uh, a, a center back who was terrible for uh, Inter-Miami last year who they think they can resurrect and then like literal children from their academy like that has been the Red Bulls like it couldn't possibly have been a more Red Bulls offseason uh, in terms of their signings I, I don't think it's going to work I don't think like even if Gerhard Struber is an amazing coach I, I just look at this team and the talent differential is like that they would have to overcome week after week after week is is just monumental and there's no more bradley wright phillips to, to bail them out um and i mean the well, technically is, they have kaku technically they have kaku <laughs> uh, don't get me fired um <laughs> <laughs> they don't have bradley wright phillips to to bail them out anymore um and the other thing is, so, I mean, Jesse Marsh is, I think, a world-class coach. And he's done great things already in Europe. He's going to do even greater things. When Jesse Marsh came to MLS in 2015, it, it was like an asteroid hitting the freaking earth. Because, like, nobody could, other than, until he got to Greg Berhalter in the 2015 playoffs, nobody could adjust what he was doing like just didn't know how to scout him did not deal with that i think the coaching and the scouting and the ability to adjust not just in game but uh you know pre-game and on the fly and uh structurally and, and even philosophically is so much better now so much more advanced than it was six years ago so the advantage you have in having uh, ingenious uh or innovative new coach um, is not as pronounced as it was six years ago when Jesse Marsh, which is what, which is to say that even if Struber gives them a, a huge advantage, and even if you bake that in, they might be su at such a talent disadvantage that doesn't actually matter. So going on to the uh, reigning Eastern conference champions, uh, I feel like, the Philadelphia Union are always perennially under un, underestimated. Uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, e- even losing Brennan Aronson. Uh, we, we just played them in the uh, preseason and Anthony Fontana uh, kind of kicked he kind of kicked our butts uh, yeah. in in uh, this preseason game. So how do you see uh, he scored two goals against uh, DC United? I mean, a, a trialist heavy one, but uh, how do you see the Philadelphia Union defending their Eastern Conference uh, championship? Yeah, they're not gonna. I mean, they're they're. I still think they're going to be um, a playoff team, and I think that. Uh, you know, they're very good at building from within. Just like they lose Mark McKenzie, they have Jack Elliott that they can plug right into that lineup. Jack Elliott's really good. Um, they lose Brendan Aronson, they have, like you said, Fontana to plug right into that lineup. He's a different type of number 10, um, much better in the box, much worse everywhere else. But like that's a luxury most teams don't have. Uh, right back is a little more iffy right now, but I, I trust Jim Curtin to figure it out. But even with all of that, the, the union were really good last year. Part of the reason you win the shield is because you can get up for every game, every single game. And the union were so good at that last year. And I, I love them for it because my job can get pretty stale if everybody's putting out a, a B minus effort every week. And well, the union were putting out an A, A plus effort every single week. Um, it's tough to do that two years in a row. And it's very tough to do that if you have a target, a target on your back. I mean, you don't have a target on the back because they won the shield last year. So when they come down to, to Buzzard Point or when they go up to Harrison or Foxborough or whatever, um, the Revs, the Red Bulls, DC United, they're going to want to kick their ass. They're going to want to kill them. Uh, and the union didn't really have to deal with that last year. So I still think they have a lot of talent. I think they have one of the league's best coaches in Jim Curtin. Uh, I think they're going to be pretty good. I don't think they're going to be anywhere close to winning a trophy in 2021. Uh, Matt, I, I guess um, I'm going to stay in the South um, with uh, Atlanta, who obviously they they got rid of uh, DeBoer, which I'm sure down there was reason enough to have a party. Um, <laughs> Joseph Martinez is back playing soccer. So I guess that's two parties. Uh, Atlanta knows what they're doing in partying. So I trust they, they did that uh, pretty well. Um, but when I look over, I've got the rest of their roster pulled up. I'm looking through it and there are some new names, but it's also like the vibe I've gotten is that there's a, a read on Atlanta that they are back. Um, especially for Atlanta fans that they're back. Joseph's back. They got a coach that isn't bad. That's enough. And I'm not sure I agree with them. I want to know what you think. Cause I I'm like, ah, guys, I don't know if that's enough. I, I picked them to finish second in the East. So I, I think if you had taken last year and you put Joseph at 80% on last year's team, they probably finish sixth in the East, and that's with an interim head coach and a mess of a roster. Well, they have a full-time head coach now, one who's really well-regarded in, in Gabby Heinze. Um, and they, I mean, look, we, we won't know their signings are good until we've seen them be good in MLS, but they sure look good on paper. I have Y Scout. They sure look good on, on Y Scout. Um, in the few games I've, I've watched of them, and they all come from Argentina. They, they sure look good down there. I think that what we're going to see out of Atlanta is going to be reminiscent of Atlanta in 2017 um, when they were an expansion team. When they, you know, it was all gas, no breaks every single week. 
um, and they would rather lose four to three than draw one one um, and entertain and and try to be the protagonist. I think there's a mandate to be the protagonist in every single game. Um, I think that's what Heinz's team is known for, and it's a big part of why he was hired. Um, and then on top of that, he's known for getting the best out of his young players. And this is a, still a really young roster. Um, they have a ton of money invested in guys like Barco and Sosa and Ibarra uh, and even Marcelino Moreno. Um, and I, I'm just betting on Gabriel Heinz to, to be a really good coach. Um, and I think it's going to work for Atlanta. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring it down. Didn't mean to make you guys sad. Maybe beer. drown your sorrows a little bit. Uh, so Matt, Matt, I, I've I've sent uh, Adam and Jason away. This is this is just you and me now. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I need to know this. I I need Orlando to be bad. So please tell me that Orlando is going to be bad this year. I know they're going to be good, but please tell me that they're going to be bad this year. So I- I don't think they're going to be that good. In fact, I expect them to take a step yes. back because if you, I mean, they're still going to be a playoff team. They're still going to be a playoff uh, team. To be uh, clear. Um, and they could end up being very good by the end of the year. But if you look at what they did so well in the first part of last year, they were among the league's very best possession teams. And a lot of that came down to Jamutinho and Nani on the left side. Well, Jamutinho got hurt in mid-August, late August, uh, and they basically stopped being able to use possession after that. And he is still hurt. And they have no left-backs on the roster. They have no way of replacing what he brought that made them so wonderful in July and August. And as for Nani, I mean, we, we saw what he, he did in the MLS's back tournament. He was phenomenal. Right. But, it, like, he ran out of gas after a month of soccer. He's not a high MVP in this league. He's not even a DP in this league. He's like, ideally at this point in his career, he, he should be like a super sub, should be like El Sino, but they're not using him like that and they can't afford for him to be that. They need oh, him. Don't tell Nada he's El Sino. Yeah, no, I mean, like, it's the truth. <laughs> uh, and yeah. they, like, so I, I actually think that they lost a lot from. Nani just aging and, and Moutinho getting hurt. And then the other thing is, like, okay, Moutinho got hurt. That's when they discovered Daryl PK. That's when they discovered they could be a really amazing counterattacking team through right. Daryl PK. And he's not coming back, boys. He is <laughs> no. long gone. So they're going to have to figure some stuff out. I know Pato is supposed to help in some ways. They got the new Dutch winger, which uh, could maybe give – Nani a little more time to rest if he's willing to accept that. But there's there's going to have to be a period of discovery with this team um, that you don't necessarily expect to see from a playoff level side that's returning nine of 11 starters. But like, I, I think it's there for Orlando that like they're going to have to struggle a little bit at the start of the season. The bad news for you guys from your point of view is that they have Oscar Perea, yep. one of the best coaches yeah, in the league. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. going to figure it out eventually, even if they're not great. And, like, I don't think this is going to be uh, a, a trophy-winning team this year, but they're going to be pretty good. Say what you want about Pato, but he's no Daryl DK. Is not a Ooh. sentence I ever thought I would be saying, but here we are. <laughs> Amen. Uh, you mentioned Columbus right at the top, and we're going to bring it back around to them. Is there any chance anybody in the league – 
or in the in the Eastern Conference anyway, has anything for the defending MLS Cup champions who added Kyle Molino. <laughs> um, Kevin Molino. Kevin uh, Molino, sorry. Yeah. Apologies uh, to Hot Boy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and by uh, extension to, to Weeby. <laughs> um, yeah, so the crew are really good, and, and like they're really deep in two or three deep at every position, and with, with guys who know who have won, like veterans who have won in the league, but also like very good young players with high upside as well. Uh, they can they have multiple match winners. Uh, they know how they want to play, um, and. You know, Caleb Porter has certainly shown an ability to get a team ready to play really good soccer in really big games. Caleb Porter's teams have also never made the playoffs two years in a row. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, he, he has struggled in his career to get that year after year by it. Um, and then the other issue with Columbus is they have a match winner in Zalarayan. And they have really good players at every other position. I don't think they have another high-level match winner. Like, Josh Zardes is going to score 20 goals by making the right runs, but he's not going to go out there and dominate a game. Pedro Santos is not going to go out there and dominate a game. Whereas Atlanta, if Heinze gets things right, they might have three guys who could do that, four guys who could do that. You know, like, like the, the Revs could end up having – three or four guys who could do that. I don't think the Revs are as good just because they leave their central midfield a little exposed. Um, but, <laughs> I mean, on, on the day, they might have answers that the crew just don't. So I do think that there is a chance, um, a, a pretty good chance. Like, if you gave me the crew versus the field to top the Eastern Conference, I would probably take the crew, but it's not a no-brainer. We are, of course, a DC United podcast here, and so we got to ask you your thoughts. Who? Who? <laughs> Look at the the tummy of that that beautiful raccoon you got over your shoulder there. Um, <laughs> we got to ask you about Hernan Losada's team. Uh, a lot of questions we don't have answers to at this point. What are you looking at? Uh, formation, it seems like it's going to be a 3-4-2-1, uh, which I, I, fits the personnel in some ways. Um, just in, like Julian Gressel is obviously born to be a wing back. I think Paul Ariola is as well, and that's going to be an interesting thing to sort of tease apart when, when he comes back from injury. Um, in, in other ways, it doesn't fit the, the personnel because there are a bunch of guys who I think are maybe better on the wing. Um, they're, you know, they finished last, you guys finished last year with two center forwards on the lineup. Now there are five or six. So it's, it's weird that it's not like a three, five, two, instead of a three, four, two, one. Um, so I'm looking at that first. I'm looking at how quickly the new faces on the back line adjust, especially with Bill Hamid likely to be injured for the next month and a half. Um, you can't afford to have subpar goalkeeping on this team. Like they, whoever's in the sticks in between the sticks is going to be really, really busy um, at all points of the year, frankly. So I, I'm looking at that, and then with, with Lasada, I mean, he has a reputation in, in he he built a reputation very quickly in Belgium as being a guy whose team plays uh, tactically interesting and uh, 
almost off the rails type of soccer, uh, which sounds great to me, gives me something fun to, to look at. Um, but off the rails can end up going really badly off the rails if you don't have adequate talent. Um, and it's hard to look at this DC team and say that they are uh, a team with a above average talent at, at too many positions. I mean, it, it really is going to have to add up to like greater than the sum of its parts pretty quickly for this team to be competitive. We'll see if they can do it. That's it for tonight though. Matt, thank you so much for, for coming down and hanging out with us, having a drink just in it's case a, we have any listeners. Perfect timing. It's an annual right. tradition guys. I, I come on, I, I have a drink. I'm a little buzzed by the end of it. Maybe saying some stuff I shouldn't, you know, <laughs> usual. Well, before we get you in too much trouble, uh, tell the one listener who who doesn't already follow you online where they can do that. At my, Matt Doyle seven six on Twitter, uh, everything I write is at mlssoccer.com. Uh, yeah, you guys know. <laughs> uh, find us, of course, at blackandredunited.com, patreon.com slash filibuster if you feel like throwing us uh, a coin or two. Follow us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails, hate mail, love letters, sponsorship inquiries to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Download, subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcasts. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show, about the awesome chat we had with Matt tonight. Uh, That's it for us, for Jason and Ben, and thanking Matt Doyle one more time. I'm Steely Adam Taylor, and I'll talk to you again real soon. (laughs) Say goodbye, Jason. (laughs) Adam, Adam took it by saying Steely Adam, and also didn't until I gave him a look, allow this. So now I'm just going to sell him out right now as the final note of the show.